Welcome to Believe. This is Claudia Suarez, and I want to encourage you to go to our website, www.believe.love. We have wonderful categories that you can look into, like um, money and business, health and wellness, to success, world news, and our universe. As a matter of fact, uh, you can also check us out in iTunes, uh, believeitunes.com, uh, Android users, you could always go believeandroid.com, and of course, youtube.com, believe loves you. Okay, you have to put the slash in between so you can find us there and find all the YouTube uh, segments and categories there. Um, I'm going to start today with our universe. Um, as you know, so many things are happening in the universe and they're exploring every time uh, new things pop up. But ex-NASA scientists share uh, concealed information about the face and pyramid found on Mars. I don't know if you remember seeing pictures of um, a face that a lot of people even look like Jesus. Uh, it was really interesting because you could see it from far, far away. You know, of course, you know, NASA has all kinds of uh, different ways of uh, doing, you know, the things that they do. And they saw this in, in 1976, the United States sent a pair of space probes, okay, uh, known as Viking 1 and Viking 2 uh, to Mars. And uh, Viking 1 was launched on August 20th, 1975. This was years ago. And Viking 2 was launched in September of the same year. Okay. Both pros uh, photographed the surface of Mars from orbit. Okay. And one studied uh, the planet from the surface. Okay. They studied the planet from the surface. The first one touched down on the surface of Mars on July 20, 20, 1976. And the second couple uh, of mall a uh, month later. Okay. Okay. This is, uh, really interesting because the main objective of this mission. Okay. At that time, uh, was to obtain high resolution images of Mars. Okay. To look for an evidence of life and to learn more about the structure and composition of the atmosphere. Okay. So this was really interesting. All this was taking place um, during that time, and as Viking 1 spacecraft was uh, 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 circling the planet, okay, Mars, the planet, wow, it, it posted the shadowy likeness of a human face. I'm sure you've seen those pictures. I'm sure you have. And an enormous head nearly two miles from end to end seemed to be starting back at the cameras, you know, staring back at the cameras, uh, from the region of the red planet called Cydonia. This is what they say, okay? A pyramid structure was also seen, okay? This will be the main topic of this, you know, this, this, what we're talking about today. Because the question is this, NASA knows this information from the Viking data in 1976. Now, Okay, what did actually happen? You know, people don't realize that some of this information was, is real. Okay, they saw this in Mars. They saw these faces in Mars. And of course, you know, as you know, um, we were all shocked to see that in the fact that there was a pyramid seen. But this is what, what's going on. As quick, um, you know, we have to realize that 
you know, NASA knew this information from Viking data in 1976. According to the multiple insiders who have worked for the agency, okay, NASA is not always honest, okay? NASA is not always honest, and we are only being told this now because they believe we are ready to pr process, okay, process, and accept these facts. But see, this happened in 1976, and we're barely founding, finding all these findings and, and letting the, the people know, okay? They're letting us know about this uh, encounter. Why? Because maybe back then we weren't ready and now we're more ready to see other, other things that are happening in other planets. And what's curious about this is that uh, the pyramid, as you know, in, in our world, we have pyramids all over the place in different regions um, of uh, our world in Egypt and Mexico and other regions where pyramids have formed. In, in, in History Channel, I know they have exposed this more in depth of why we have pyramids that are connected to the universe. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to know that NASA knew all this while back, okay, and in our universe appeared uh, through this, you know, Viking 1 and Viking 2, and they, they, they were able to capture this in Mars, okay, so... Mars actually used to be an Earth-like Earth planet, okay, uh, with giant oceans and extensive greenery, okay. The soil, is most, uh, the soil is moist and wet in Mars, and there is a very high likelihood that some type of life, okay, exists within the interior of Mars today. Of course, we haven't gotten there. That's why they say that, that human beings can live in Mars because of what their findings, because of their findings. Now, what does that face represent? We do not know. Only God knows, only the universe knows what it represents, okay? But nevertheless, these are the findings, and now people are being more exposed to the truth, and all the secrets were being kept from NASA, can you imagine, since 1976, this is what we found, this information we found it in our webs well, the webs the website Collective Evolution, um, which we give credit to because this is very good information of, of what we need to do. And, and definitely, according to multiple insiders who have worked for the agency, okay, NASA is not always honest. Okay, and we are only being told this now because they believe we are ready to process and accept these facts. Before we may not been been ready, and and it, we have what I could say that we have grown. You know, we have now iPhones. We have evolutionized. Thank God, you know, and um, definitely, this is something that. Now we're ready to explore, and, and, and the more findings that they come across in Mars, we'll be able to know quicker than before. Okay, according to, um, you know, um, uh, insiders, um, multiple insiders with expensive, extensive background, NASA lied about all these things. Okay, they never said anything about these images or anything like that. 
And now secrecy is great among them because they don't want to expose things that could eventually probably would hurt us or panic people more than anything, panic people. Um, but um, this is something that they, they, in the article says that the establishment, to, you know, the NASA establishment to keep us in line and prevent human race from growing, expanding, and exploring. That's why they kept it. But our consciousness is shifting now. And it's so true. Look at now. Our, our consciousness is shifting. We're learning more about our, uh, how our brain works and how our vibrations work and how we're connected to the universe in so many different ways. Um, how we have energy fields in our body that all connect to the universe as well. And they, that sometimes it can become like the chakras, you know, like you become trapped and they become very trapped and they create stress and they create all kinds of things and illnesses as well, as, as I'm, a very few people know. But that's part of it. Okay. Um, but you know what else? It's time to start asking the bigger question. It is. It's time to start asking. The, it's time for the human race to leave its infancy. Okay. To leave its infancy and grow into adulthood. This is what, what the writer said. And transparency is the first step. Transparency. Because I think we need to know, as a human race, we need to know what's going on. We don't, we, that can be kept from us, okay? So we need to know, as a human race, what's going on in the universe. And right now, that's why we're sharing this, that, it, that you know, sometimes we're not let know they don't let the humanity know what's going on. But now that you, when you encounter those pictures, when you see those pictures, because I know you, you, you have seen them because they came out and they were publicized all over the place. Um, and it looks like a face from far away. And then you see pyramids and stuff. They, they haven't found anything else, but it gives them the, the idea that this, this could be happening. Okay. Um, so, the proper progress in, in, in finding out and being more involved with our universe is important for us uh, as humans. We need to be more involved. We can't be just uh, assume things. We need to find out more, research more on, this, on these things that are happening, how NASA is actually, you know, basically looking into, you know, uh, more into Mars and how uh, it's a human race we could actually, you know, could, you know, if, 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 another, if that planet existed before, before us, who knows if it was another world before our world and whatever, you know, what is it that happened to them? You know, whoever, if there was humanity there too, or another race, you know, we don't, you know, another type of humans. I don't know. We don't know. But as we, um, ex the NASA explores more, and I hope that they are willing to give this information faster and quicker so that we are more aware as human beings. Correct? So I hope that you as, as, as a viewer, you as a listener, looks into some of these things so that way, you know, you know, definitely um, is something that, that, um, we can look into in our universe and, and be aware of what's going on in our universe. And, and this is something that, that um, it helps us all. Isn't that wonderful to find out that there's actually 
you know, these things happening in, in Mars, okay? And pretty soon they'll probably make a movie about it as well. I don't know if you saw some of those movies that they made about, you know, um, with Matt Damon who was in Mars and he got stuck there and all that. It was, it, it was a wonderful movie, but it gives you the vision of what it could actually happen. And the fact that as human beings, we're exploring more and the universe is giving us the capacity to be able to be, you know, smarter about knowing that we're not the only ones here and that the universe is much greater than what we even could even expect. So I am um, leaving you with those thoughts and I'm leaving you with a thought with uh, check out our, our uh, category, our universe. And definitely remember, ex-NASA scientists shared concealed information about the face and pyramid found on Mars. This had happened in 1976 and we're just barely finding out. So, hey. You know, we can always write, we can always complain, we can always, we want more information from NASA, and we don't have to just depend on whatever we, the information that we, we get. So this is just for thought, and I hope you enjoy this, this category of our universe. Hi, welcome to health and wellness category. We're going to talk about our topic for today is six ways to change your brain for healthy eating. This is what we found in U.S. News, and um, it, it was really important because most of us think that we can't retrain our brain to eat healthy, but we can. We actually can do it, you know. Um, hey, you could even use affirmations nowadays, you know. You could you can listen to audiobooks that can help you retrain your brain. And I think it's just being more conscious. And as you know, not buying trigger foods in the grocery store, okay, that are not healthy is the way to go. You know, and, and actually I'm going to share my story with you because um, it's so important for us to control certain things that we buy in the grocery store. So that way we don't, we can start eating a little bit healthier and experiment, experiment with new things, experiment with, with, um, new, new vegetables and, and salads. And, and I started experimenting because I didn't used to eat healthy at all. I never did, but now I'm more conscious of it. And so I begin to explore about kale and certain salads and mixing my salads and eating more avocados and, and finding out more about the benefits, okay, the benefits of food and what they do to your body. And believe me, it's so important. Once you know that, guess what's going to happen? You are automatically going to buy things that benefit your body and make you feel better and also healthier. But anyway, I'm going to share... Some of the things that this article uh, tells us, which is, um, you know, the six ways to train your brain to healthy eating. And one of the things is that, that you know, to count your bites. A lot of times, uh, in order for you to train your brain, your brain does whatever you, you know, sometimes it's funny because a lot of people say it's your brain that tells you what to do. But it's actually our spirit, our inner self that really is guiding us all the time. You know, our brain is an organ, just like our heart and our, the rest of our organs. 
they function together to help us uh, function in this world as human beings. But our spirit that lives inside of us is what guides us all the time. And somebody told me about, it's not, the brain doesn't really, you can control your brain. It's not your brain that controls you. It's, it goes again uh, of some of the thought, thoughts that, in, in, that you have. It also, um, sometimes when you start having bad thoughts about, um, I'm going to just emotionally eat. Because you know that we eat because we have sometimes bad emotions. We overeat. We eat junk food that makes us feel good. And, and foods are addictive. There are, are chemicals in foods that become addictive. And so we are putting all that into our body and also our brain responds to it. Okay, so that's why we need to learn to respond to our brain, uh, respond, I'm sorry, to our, our, what we eat and listen to our spirit as far as what we need to eat and buy in the grocery store. So this is what they found. It's, it's, it's um, actually a pedometer. That's what it's called, pedometer, which tracks how many bites Okay. You take based on a wrist motion. Okay. Wrist motion associated with eating. You can instantly make a change towards your goal of eating less and eating healthier food. Um, whether that works or not, I guess you would have to find the pedometer, pedometer, you know, uh, but if you want to basically start teaching your brain or teaching your, your, your brain to, to eat less, you have to start maybe counting certain things, you know, a research was done about this situation. Richard has shown that receiving such feedback leads people to take fewer bites and eat less. Okay. Uh, you don't need to extreme diet. You don't need an extreme diet. It says here, uh, to change your weight. Um, and it's so true about that. Let me tell you why. Because I used to be, you know, a few, I, I wouldn't say about 20, 30 pounds overweight. I mean, you, you may not believe this. I mean, usually cameras give you 10 pounds extra, but, but I pretty kept, I have kept my weight pretty good. Um, and I had to get sick. Okay. I had to get sick in order for me to start controlling what I eat. In, in, in teaching my brain to eat healthier food. Um, because of that overweight, my, uh, I started feeling sick. I didn't feel good. I, I started uh, getting uh, issues with my uh, acid reflux and so forth. And then from there, I went into, um, what can I say, high blood pressure and so many other things. And the way I lost weight is by, like I said, um, teaching myself how to eat healthier. I changed my salt. I decided to find a sea salt instead of the regular salt that you buy. Uh, I didn't, all the canned foods I tossed. <laughs> I never buy, I am serious to you. I never buy canned food at all. No canned food in my, in my, in my, um, in my home, in my kitchen at all. Um, I'm going to tell you also what I tossed. I also tossed anything that was, uh, gluten, you know, um, 
I started changing my, my gluten habits because I, I used to love wheat and I used to buy wheat bread because I thought it was healthier. But you know what? I started reading about it, reading more on it. And, and, and I wanted to find out more how that could help me as well. And, and believe it or not, I started losing weight automatically, automatically. I didn't, I didn't have to really, um, you know, be on a diet to lose weight. Um, when I changed my salt into sea salt, things changed as well. My, my pressure went down, you know, um, also uh, the canned food because they have a lot of sodium. If you look at some of the stuff in the grocery store and you start reading, I started reading the labels more and you start reading the labels and you check out how much sodium, you know, TV dinners have, for example, the famous TV dinners. Or things that are processed and they sell you, like, you know, in, in the freezer department, a pizza. Look at the pizza and how much, how much sodium that has. And then you'll stop and say, oh, my gosh, I'm putting all that sodium. Well, you're supposed to have only 2,000, 2,000 or 2,500, I think, a milligrams a day of sodium, right? So it's the same with sugar and things like that. So it starts reading the package and reading the stuff in the label, you'll know you start telling your brain that you don't want this anymore. And you'll start training that brain to change habits because it is a habit, a good and bad habit of how you eat and select your food when you buy it. I don't eat less wonderful food. I eat healthy food, but it's not always salads. You know, people think, oh, she probably eats salads all the time. No, healthy food is not only salad. I, I experimented with quinoa, okay, and I found some great recipes with, for quinoa, uh, which is very good for you. And I love it now. I love quinoa. Um, um, kale and more veggies. And I did fabulous salads with walnuts and, and uh, blueberries and, you know, and you know, put cheese and put all kinds of stuff in it that really makes my uh, broccoli and all that stuff. And that helped me a lot in changing my habits and changing my brain thought about um, changing into healthier food. Okay, the other one that uh, they, they call it embrace your lazy. You know what that means? Embrace your lazy. That means that you need to be lazy when it comes to snacking. Okay, all of us love to snack. I haven't stopped snacking, but I bought some snacks that I really enjoy, like nice popcorn or, you know, or things that are, you know, that are sweet, but that are not too high in calories or my, you know, yogurt with, um, you know, strawberries and, and honey or whatever. But sometimes what they're suggesting here is be a little lazy. Instead of just get a, a cup of, of popcorn you're going to snack and put that back, back where it was far away from you in your pantry. And you know what? You become a little lazy. Oh, I need to get up if I want more instead of bringing the bag with you when you're watching a movie, right? You don't bring the bag with you. You won't eat more because I've noticed that if I bring the bag with me, I eat more. <laughs> I do. And I think all of us do. So that's, that's another way of retraining your brain to become a little bit, you know, be more conscious of it. So that way you don't need more. And then also finding the right snacks to snack on. Also, um, 
slice and dice. That's what they call it in this article. One of the studies, uh, this is what they say, uh, for instance, found that people who received 16 pieces of jello believe they ate more than those who ate the same amount in nine pieces. And I guess it's all a, 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 a concept, you know? It's a concept about, you know, if I eat this, you know, you know, it depends on how many pieces I have, I'm eating more. I'm, but you're not. You're actually eating less if you count. They say that you shouldn't have more than so many almonds a day, you know. But sometimes we have a little bag and we finish the bag. Or I'm talking the little bags, you know. But if you say I can only have six almonds today or walnuts or whatever, you know, then more than likely you just eat that. And I wasn't doing that. You know, because I love walnuts and I love coconut and I love, you know, all kinds. And I was just eating that bag of walnuts. I used to buy this bag of walnuts really big. And before you know it, it was gone. You know what? I, and, and, they, and to top it all, I have super high potassium, which is not that great for you when you overdo it. Okay, it's good for you. And walnuts are really good for your brain, but they're not good for you in excess. And when you overdo anything, it's bad, even if it's healthy. So, you know, you have to count a few, just a little bunch. And so now that bag is lasting me more than two weeks. That bag of walnuts, because I'm being more conscious of it. And my coconut bag, the same, because I just put a little bit. But I was doing it every night, okay? And sometimes I would go and put more. So that's the thing. You have to be conscious. Even if you get ice cream, you know, get a little, a little, um, not the big one, but get the little one and they have half of it and then have another half in, in two days later. And so you start retraining your brain to do the things that you want, not the, what the brain and the gut wants. Okay. Okay. Eat foods you like. I'm sorry, I, I skipped number four. It's, it's target hunger. Target hunger. This is um, Susan Roberts, who is, is a senior scientist and director of the Energy Metabolism Laboratory at uh, Turfs uh, University, explained how diets, okay, that focus on one thing, which is like the Atkin diets, that you only can eat meat, right? You can only eat protein, okay? They're not always good, okay? Because then when you go back to it, then guess what? When you start eating carbos, carbohydrates, then your brain starts getting crazy, like, okay, now we're not going to eat this. So anyway, they're not, because she says they're not hitting all the biological signals uh, related to hunger, okay? Uh, that's why she created a uh, eye diet. That's what she created an eye diet, a program who um, incorporates all the aspects of the safety hunger. So, you know, you have to watch out some of these diets that they give you because they're not being, they're not going to be training your brain properly. You know, it gets confused, you know, so you're not retraining it to be healthier. You just retra retraining, retraining it to stop to do a certain thing that eventually you're going to have to bring back in your diet. There's no way we, cannot, we can live without carbohydrates. We have to have a balanced, um, you know, diet. 
So it's important to, to think about all those things. Eat foods that you like. Okay. It's so important that we experiment with the foods that we like, you know, not because, you know, you don't, you see something healthy means that you're not going to like it. So you have to experiment, you know, it's like, I never had really tasted kale. doesn't taste like anything if you eat it alone, but I started experimenting with it, which by the way, it helps you lose weight as well, but it's super high in potassium. So you can overdo it. And, and also, uh, it can also hurt your thyroid if you eat it more than three or four times a week. So you have to be careful with it, but nevertheless, it's a healthy, uh, superfood. Okay. But you have to try it. You may like it. You may try different ideas with it. And I did, and I, and I liked it. And also, um, don't say no to things that, oh, I mean, I like it. You may not like broccoli the way that your friend prepared it, but you may like broccoli the way you prepare it. Okay. With a little bit of Parmesan cheese, with uh, maybe just a little bit of olive oil, maybe along with a nice vinaigrette, you know, who knows? Or with, you know, with, um, you know, um, rice and, you know, other things that may taste good or, you know, salmon or other things. You have to start preparing your food the way you want to and try buying healthy food, but things that you may like as well. Okay. Another thing that they suggest is accept displeasure. You know what that means, right? Sometimes we do not like certain things or we say no to certain things. Oh, I would never eat mushrooms. Oh, I would never eat broccoli. I hate broccoli. How many times I've heard people say, I hate broccoli. I hate asparagus. I hate all, all the greens. And yet they have not really tried them. Okay. Or experimenting with them. Um, researchers now believe we can retrain our brains. Okay. You can retrain your brain to prefer healthy foods, to prefer healthy foods. Even if we've been, you know, settled with a, an addictive ice cream for years, because we become addictive to things because we made those things happen in our lives with foods, with fast food, with uh, anything that we like a lot, our brain automatically asks for it because we have trained them to like them, okay? So um, this, is, this conditioning happens over time, of course, okay? This doesn't happen, you're going to start tomorrow and you're going to start training your brain. No, is it's a way of, of life, a lifestyle. Okay. Is, is, is beginning like looking at the labels is beginning uh, in the labels in, in, when you grocery shop is experimenting with new foods that you've never tried is, um, eating in a different way is finding recipes that look healthy and, and you try. Okay. Then is when you start retraining your brain and it takes time. Okay, but if you repeatedly eat certain foods, then and you start avoiding fast foods, okay, and 
you will start, according to this study that they've done, teaching the brain to actually prefer healthy food. And I am testimony of that. I am testimony of that. I was never, I never thought, I used to eat hot dogs. I used to love hot dogs all the time. I don't buy hot dogs now. I'm serious, I don't. I don't even buy cold cuts. And you know what? It doesn't mean that I don't eat a sandwich once in a while, maybe from Subway or some of the other uh, places that sell beautiful, wonderful, um, you know, uh, sandwiches. But it's not like, a, like it used to be with me, okay? And, and, and the reason I don't buy cold cuts a lot is because they have a lot of preservatives. And they, and they uh, also have a lot of sodium, okay? And I don't need certain things because I guess I retrained my brain ever since I got sick, you know, to eat healthier because I wanted to feel better. And, and I can tell when something is not working with my body and I try to avoid it, not not to, and I have kept my weight off. I haven't have been on a diet at all, like I used to be when I was younger. I remember I used to get on diets, crash diets all the time. And I never really lost weight, you know. But as, as soon as I started making those changes that I've shared with you, I lost weight automatically. And I kept it off and I'm, I'm keeping it off. And it doesn't mean I don't indulge once in a while with a little ice cream or, um, one of those wonderful, you know, sandwiches that sometimes they sell and they're wonderful with vinegar and oil and, and everything. Um, or even pizza. I love pizza. But is the way I have trained my, my brain to work with, to eat more healthy foods than not healthy foods. Because even a pizza can be healthier if you know how to prepare it properly. There are gluten-free pizzas out there. You can prepare them. You can, you know, once in a while, they're good for you, you know? So, yeah, do that. And I'm testimony of that. And I hope that this some way, somehow, okay, has helped you. So, you know, I really want to thank you for watching and definitely always follow us on health and wellness. We have so many different categories. And just remember, there's a way to retrain your brain. Hi, now we're going to this category, true success, and I'm gonna share the topic with you, the best career advice from successful people who made it to the top. That's the topic for today. The best career advice from successful people who made it to the top. I'm sure all of us wanna learn that from these people that share this article with us, uh, with their experiences and how to make it to the top. Because you know what? Um, building a successful career, all of us want to build a successful career. It's not always easy, but we can do it. And thank God that there's people out there writing beautiful articles about people that are sharing their experiences and definitely sharing with us how to be better at what we do especially those who are, you know, confused and don't know what to do. Well, guess what? This is what they, the successful people have done in order for them to reach to the top. 
And um, one of the number one things that they do is self-knowledge is a foundation. Okay, they say self-knowledge is a foundation. Without self-knowledge, the pursuit of success, success is frustrating. Okay. I guess what they mean by self-knowledge is to know yourself better. What is it that you want out of life? What is it that you want out of life? And um, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, philosophers encourage their followers to reflect. Oh, gosh. It's so hard sometimes to just sit and just reflect. It's like I could tell you right now, right this minute. Just, just sit, as you listen to me right now, sit and reflect. Sit and reflect. Today's leaders use their self-understanding to define and reach success. Okay? Self-knowledge requires reflecting on your experiences, good and bad. Good and bad. Think about last week and take note of when you felt the greatest satisfaction. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful knowledge right here that you're listening to and me too, as well as you, learning. We need to breathe sometimes, we do. We need to breathe deep breaths, you know, because self-knowledge is so important to, to get to where you want to get. And you have to stop. I don't know if you, have done this practice, but I, sometimes I have to do it myself. And, and one of the things that I do is I stop myself when I'm overthinking, when I'm getting stressed, because I do not want to believe in the word stress. I want to abolish it from my life, you know, and abolish stress from my life, because I think you can live a wonderful life without stress. Mind you, I'm not saying don't work, don't do your thing, but it's, it's, it's a mental attitude. It is a mental attitude. So the most important thing is, is to really take note of what really makes you feel at ease. And if it doesn't make you feel good, you need to move on. And if those things are not made comfortable to you, then you don't want to stress your body to the point where you get sick. Okay? That's the thing. Another thing that they, that powerful people or, you know, successful people have done to reach the top is cure, cure, they're curious. They feel that curiosity is powerful. Curiosity is powerful. Formal education will make you a living, is what they say. Self-education will make you a fortune, according to Jim Ron one of the successful people that quote, was quoted in this article. Okay, um, so self-education is more powerful and can make you a fortune more so than formal education. This is what he's telling you, okay? An open and curious mind is vital to make most of learning opportunities, okay? Curiosity means looking for an opportunity to learn and apply ideas outside of the classroom. I believe that. I, I, I really believe that the more you learn on your own, the better. <clears throat> you need to explore more. It's like what we're doing today. You're listening to us. 
you're coming in to believe and listening to these this, this, uh, categories and listening to me. And, and I listen to others in exchange that are doing the same thing, sharing with me their knowledge. And, and that gives us more power because you're more curious to learn. And the more curious to learn, the better, the better it is for you. Okay. So uh, here they say that in, you know, you have to focus is it's important to focus and, 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 and be curious about what you want out of life and learn as you go, you know, because it helps you to become more powerful. This is curiosity means looking for an opportunity, okay, and taking advantage of it for your own good, for your own benefit, um, okay. This person um, that does this is that he usually takes two courses, two courses once in a while to keep sharp. Because no matter what you're doing in business or what you're doing in life, in your career, you always have to continue to prepare yourself. You always have to continue to learn so that you can be better at what you do. So this person, uh, Rich Crawford, CEO of Global Investment Services, says that he takes twice a year, he takes workshops and things like that to help him be more curious about the new technology, the new things that are happening out there. So that's what makes him reach the top and get successful. Okay. Also, they suggest mentors provide new perspectives and better questions. It's so hard to sometimes find people that can become mentors to us, that we can rely on, you know, that we can rely on, that we can listen to. Um, it's not easy because there's people that don't like to listen and there's people that don't like to talk. So, you know, you, you have to have conversation and feedback in order for you to progress in life. So they suggest successful leaders constantly reach out to mentors throughout the course of their careers. And it doesn't have to be a person to person. It could be mentors that you hear on the internet, uh, people that have been written bo writing books and, and give suggestions, you know, um, and sometimes you can find mentors, you know, in a conversation, doing business um, and, you know, learn lessons from those people, you know, just by, by seeing the way they work or seeing the way they're successful or seeing the way they handle their lives. So those are good suggestions. Okay. And number four, keep the right company to achieve your goals. Keep the right company to achieve your goals. Um... The company you keep, okay, has a major impact on your success and self-concept. Um, Jim, this is Jim Ron's observation, okay? This is, we are quoting him. He says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Once again, I'm going to read his quote. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Okay. That's how leaders, you know, you hang around with people that are teaching you things. That are also leaders. And there are leaders that have proven themselves. 
Okay. So it's so important to hang around with the right people at several points. You know, he said, he says that my mentors have served as mirrors for me. He said, okay. Uh, and help me to understand myself better. This is what, um, you know, Kim Ulmer, another successful person who reached the top, regional president of Royal Banking of Canada, said. So it's so important to know, you know, to really, really, really know that um, true success, true success in this topic, the best career advice that other people can give us is so important because we're also learning from them. We're learning from them. And sometimes whether we, you know, you need inspiration to start a new uh, practice or boost your motivation, you know, to get back on track in your life. Take and use these four leaders' experience to boost your own, you know, to boost your life. I'm going to go over them again. Self-knowledge is the foundation. Curiosity is powerful. Mentors provide new perceptives, perceptives and better questions. And number four, keep the right company to achieve your goals. So in order to reach the top and be successful, this is what they suggest. I hope you enjoy this topic and I hope you learn a lot from it just like I did. Hi, welcome to Money and Business. This category always helps you uh, and me learn more about how to handle money and business in life. Okay, so today we're going to talk, our topic is five mistakes new entrepreneurs make during their first year in business. But you know what? That happens a lot because people don't realize that as entrepreneurs, they also make mistakes, especially their first year. Okay, because if you're going to commit to be uh, an entrepreneur, you need to really listen to these uh, mistakes that, that other entrepreneurs have shared with all of us through these blogs and articles that they write uh, so that we can learn to be better at what we do. So these are for those of you who want to be entrepreneurs or they're starting a new business and just be prepared or avoid these five mistakes during this year that you start your business. Okay. They, you know, the number one thing they say is that you need to, you know, the most important thing is that most of the times, number one mistake is they focus on the solution, not on the problem. You would think that that would be not a mistake, right? But it is. It is. It's a mistake to focus more on the solution than the problem. Uh, the best advice you can take in the beginning, okay, of your journey as a business person, okay, especially the first time or an, an aspiring entrepreneur, um, but even the seasoned ones, okay, is to fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Why do they say that? 
Because you always have to be in tune with what's happening with your business. You know, let's focus on the problem. What the problem is that's not making your business flourish. Okay. So that you can come up with a solution. Okay. But then we start working. What is the solution? What is the solution to fix this? What are we going to do? And so you worry too much about finding a solution than focusing on the problem and seeing what the problem is to then come up with a solution. Okay. So that's what they're talking about there. Number two, they think they can do it alone. Oh my gosh. How many entrepreneurs do this? A lot. (laughs) They start on their own and they want to carry one hat, another hat, this hat, you know, I'm the secretary. I'm the salesperson. I'm uh, the, the creative entity. I'm the website designer. I'm, you know, you want to do it all. And unfortunately, that drags you down. Eventually, you get tired. You can't handle that. There's no way you can handle that. And you know why? Because people get tired. Your body gets tired. Your mind gets tired. And so you need help. All of us need help. We cannot do it alone. We need other people. You know, I, I had to learn that the hard way, <laughs> unfortunately. I had to learn that the hard way because, you know, I was so picky with my things, okay? Picky with the way I did things and the way I, you know, you know. So I never asked for help, you know. Uh, I always wanted to do it all myself, invest by myself, be my, don't have partners, don't do this. And I failed. I failed. You don't last the year. So I agree with this person who wrote this article because you don't last. You can't do it alone. Okay. Starting a new venture is very challenging, very challenging, lengthy, and, you know, it becomes uh, unpredictable, you know, and um, trying to weather everything that comes across and you don't have a partner and you don't have anybody to help you. You know, and then when you choose your partner, you got to choose the right partner too. That's going to be there working with you. He needs to have a strength and you need to have a strength, you know, and they have to be different. So that way you could both help each other because then you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow and then you're going to get fed up. Okay. So the next thing is, um, They don't talk to customers. Those people that have businesses where you need customers or that you need to, you know, you need to find out what's going on with the customers. You know, you need to be, you know, I had the opportunity to work for um, a very important company in retail and I was one of their managers, uh, one of their managers. And one thing that I learned is that service, uh, the service is so important. Customer service is the most important thing for them to get the right feedback and for people to keep coming back, okay? And it's true. One of the things that you have to learn in these training sessions when you work in retail is to always listen to the customer, to always ask questions, okay? And um, so it's really important. What are your needs? So that way, you know, you can become better, you know, at what you do, you know. And so 
you know, you don't have to worry, you, you know, about, you know, I'm an inspiring entrepreneur and I just, you know, make it easier on yourself. Find out what's going on with the customers so that way you don't have to second guess. And it's the success of every retail store. You know, um, I don't want to advertise the company that I work for, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's what their success is. The company that I work for was Estelada. And, and, and if, if for some of you that know the history of Estelada, a woman who was a beautiful entrepreneur who started selling creams door to door, to door with women, look what is, she's, she has an empire. Well, she's not alive anymore, but, you know, she left the legacy. But that's how you become successful by knowing how to build your business in the first year of your business and don't make the mistakes. Like here they're saying, they don't talk to their customers. Another one is they are investor hungry, investor hungry. What does investor hungry mean? Okay. Investor hungry is a lot of people, they just want to keep looking for investors all the time for their business. And they go crazy finding money here, money there, money, you know, and, and, and you don't realize that you have to pay that back or you have to give, you know, response to the investors for what you're doing, you know? So those are mistakes you make because you don't have to have sometimes uh, investors. According to these people here, um, you know, they say, that um, it's a no-no. Uh, there, the answer is to to them is is that you really don't have to be asking for money. Let give your 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 company a chance. You don't have to be an investor hungry, looking for investors. You know all the time to make your company grow. Because you need to give it a chance. You bring an investor when you really, really need it and you're growing and you're going to the next level and you need that investment to grow. But not in your first year. You make mistakes. You, you get people to invest in your company when you haven't even started, you know? So those are things that, that um, most people think. Do you, know, do you really need an investor? According to them, no. You don't need an investor. That would be a mistake. There's the number four mistake, by the way. <laughs> because you're giving away your equity or subjecting yourself to, to, to the investors as well. How much percentage are you giving away out of your business? You know, so think about that. Okay, and number five is uh, they don't build to scale. Okay, they don't build to scale. Too often, young and aspiring entrepreneurs, it says here, are thinking small and don't have an idea for how their venture could grow beyond their bubble. Okay, that's what they mean by they don't build to scale. Okay, your goal is to create a true startup. Okay, scaling is important. You want your venture to be able to grow and reach new customers and markets. So when you start your business, think higher. Think that you're going to scale higher. 
don't don't build, you know, to where you can't scale. That's why they say number five mistake. They don't build, they don't build to scale. That's why um, they fail. And those are mistakes that that people make in their business, and that's why they fail all the time. So I hope this these tips helped you, especially if you're a new entrepreneur and you're starting your own business. Don't make these mistakes. I learned myself from this article, and I really believe you learned too. So if you're a new, uh, you're a new entrepreneur or you want to start your own business, you know, make sure, you know, make sure that uh, you listen to this, you took note, and you don't make these mistakes. You know, so the five mistakes new entrepreneurs make during their first year in business. Hi, welcome to World News. Um, I have an interesting topic to you today. Uh, the U.S. military says that human beings actually have a sixth sense. Wow, they discovered it. <laughs> That's world news. Guess what? The U.S. military is barely discovering that human beings have a sixth sense. How is that? You know, we as human beings have always had a sixth sense. But the way they, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to, tell you the news because they basically said that in 1914, the Office of the Naval Research began a four-year research program, okay, consisting approximately $4 million for it to examine premonition and intuition, premonition and intuition, which we all have, okay? Dr. Peter Squire, Office of Naval Research, okay, program manager expressed to Times Magazine that we have to understand what gives rise to this so-called sixth sense, okay? According to Peter Exquire, a program officer in the ONR, which is, you know, Office of Naval Research, um, which, you know, he says that today's Navy, scientists place less emphasis on trying to understand the phenomena theatrically and more on using technology to examine mysterious processes, which Navy science is sure that public is not based on superstition. Okay. If the researchers understand the process, there may be a way to accelerate it. Okay. And possibly spread the powers of intuitions throughout the military units. Possibly, okay, spread the powers of intuition through military unit, said Dr. Esquire. The Pentagon focuses, focus is to maximize the power of the sixth sense, okay, for operational use. So all of a sudden now we're going to use sixth sense to run the military, okay? This is true. And yes, research into this type of phenomenon have been ongoing for a long time. This became most evident this year, as well as in 1995, when the U.S. government released Project Stargate files. The files also show that these initiatives are international in scope. So in other words, they're doing this internationally, okay? 
This is obviously serious stuff. Especially if it's being researched within the highest levels of government. The Department of Defense is doing this as well. This specific research program came from reports within the field where soldiers have used intuition for various operations. Okay. These reports from the field often detailed a sixth sense or a spy's spy day you know, sense that alerted them to an, uh, to an impending attack because of their sixth sense. They had a sixth sense that they were going to be attacked. Okay. Or that allowed them to respond to a no, um, novel situation without consciously analyzing the situation. Okay, Commander Joseph Cohen, a program manager at the Naval Office, told the New York Times that sixth sense is important in the military. You know, how many times soldiers, when they're in the battlefield, okay, when people are out there, I mean, you can't even think, I don't, I don't see, I mean, my respects for people that fight, for our veterans, my respect. You know why? Because they do not, they really do not, they can't even think. I mean, their high blood pressure must go sky high because they're always working and thinking with their sixth sense. Because they're always looking over their shoulders this way and that way to see, you know, who's behind them. So, yes, you have to work with your gut. You have to work with your, you know, listening to your God, your sixth sense. So, come on, let's be real. I mean, how long do they have to do this research to find out that all humans have a sixth sense? And that we need to be more conscious of it. In, in our lives, not just in the military, in all of our lives, you know, because we do have a sixth sense. We do have a sixth sense that guides us every single day. Call it spiritual, call it in spirit, call it, you know, God talking to us and showing us the way, you know. But we have a sixth sense that God gave us so that way we can maneuver in this world. They, your, your, your God feeling tells you. You just have to learn to listen to it. Okay? But I'm glad that our U.S. military says that the human beings actually have a sixth sense now. They finally opened their eyes. <laughs>